Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that rave Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode 506, coming to you on Monday, September 25th, looking back at USC's 14-point win over the Arizona State Sun Devils in Tempe. Uh, we are going to look back at the game, talk about the highs, the lows, take your calls, and so much more. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you find podcasts. We are there, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, name it, we're there, probably, more than likely. Uh, but especially here live on YouTube, where we are uh, every episode of the show. If you join us here live on YouTube, be sure to like the stream as well as subscribe to the show. Uh, our email address is randomtriumphansi.com and our phone number 818-643-7227. Suck it, what's brewing show. Yeah, 818-643-7227. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joined along with my co-host here in the Randroy studio in Los Angeles, Lisa Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, it is... Another another Monday, another uh, Fallout episode, uh, one with a lot to discuss this week because, you know, it was a game that had the, the Robots sort of up in arms a, a, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it. would you say I was up in arms on Saturday? I think people were up in arms. I yeah. think people were up in arms. Were you up in arms? I felt a little up in arms. I felt a little ranty. I felt a little frustrated. I, I certainly... Wasn't as uh, <laughs> as intense as some I saw on on Twitter and elsewhere, but uh, but yeah, no, it was a frustrating night. I think I think that's very clear. Yeah, the, the most important thing is uh, SC got the, uh, the, uh, the the win, right? SC is four and They are uh, two thirds of the way to bowl eligibility, right? That's the important <laughs> part. Yeah, bowl bowl eligibility. That's what we're worried about this year. Yeah, one hundred percent. Uh, anyways, uh, thank you guys for joining us here on uh, live on YouTube. Everyone that's in here, a uh, bunch of people in the chat. The chat is filling up. Uh, we got what Ernesto, Anthony, Randy, uh, Sagar, Rama, Matthew, Cameron, Ernesto, Scott, Tim, uh, Chalison. I, I don't know who else I'm missing, but there's more people probably. A uh, bunch of people in in the chat. Welcome, uh, welcome as always. Uh, and before we get this thing started, um, the big note here is that, at least you're looking at the schedule, um, looks like SC played Arizona State on on Saturday, and they're following it this week with Colorado. I don't know if you know anything about those two states, but those two states, places where you can sign up for DraftKings, because if you do and you're a new user, you can receive 150 bucks in bonus bets instantly after following just three steps Create an account, deposit, and then wager five bucks on any sport. 
Whether your first wager wins or loses, you'll still receive 150 bucks in bonus bets. All you have to do is use the code Reign of Troy, all one word, when you sign up. The best part is using that code Reign of Troy not only gets you the bonus, but helps support this very podcast, this one that you're listening to, watching right now. Uh, so if you're considering signing up for DraftKings this week, when you go to Colorado on your USC road trip, definitely use our code Reign of Troy to maximize those first bets. Uh, this offer is available to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states like, such as Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so please remember to gamble responsibly and check the episode description for the first full terms of the offer, including all of the states. Uh, that you can you can join DraftKings with, including Arizona, Colorado, uh, Tennessee, Virginia. There's a long list. Go check out the list. Uh, anyways, uh, let's get to the news. We we got we got news to begin with, shall we? Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall. See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks. So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins. Bingo. You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn 10 bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Price Picks lets you get on the action on more than 30 states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today. Use the code Reign of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's the Price Picks app with the code Reign of Troy for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. All right, let's start with the AP poll. The AP poll is out. We talked about it in the car cast. We said it's probable that SC would drop a little bit, maybe a spot or two. They did. SC dropped from fifth to eighth, three spots, three spots after uh, beating Arizona State by only 14 when the line was 35. Uh, It is now number one, Georgia, number two, Michigan, Number three, Texas. Number four, Ohio State, fresh off their big win in South Bend over Notre Dame. Fifth is Florida State. Penn State, six. Washington, seven. Every All those teams basically kind of move up a spot over SC. Um, Oregon is ninth. Utah, tenth. Notre Dame, fresh off their loss, is down only two spots from ninth to 11th. Um, Alicia, your thoughts on, on the AP poll? Uh, Number one, we have to start with number one, the polls don't matter. (laughs) The polls don't matter. So any discussion that we have about this comes with that disclaimer and is more of a thought exercise than something that is actually worth getting riled up about. First things first, right? 
Number two, I, I think I predicted this on Saturday. I, I sort of saw it coming. I, I, I think I said at the time that I wouldn't be surprised if we saw USC fall below even Penn State because of the impressiveness of their win over Iowa. Uh, everyone can shut out Iowa. That's sort of not part of the thing. But putting up 31 points on that Iowa defense, I'm impressed for Penn State. Mm-hmm. Drew Allaire put, putting up four touchdowns on that Penn State defense, I'm impressed. That 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 was undoubtedly something that answered some questions that I have about Penn State, about whether or not their offense really is capable of, of competing. So I saw that sort of coming. I think you and I both agree that Washington has been the most impressive team in college football so far. Uh, they have also had a relatively weak schedule, but mm-hmm. they have that schedule has still been stronger than anything USC has done. Impressive as they can be for playing a bunch of cupcakes. Yeah. Yes, yes. And even then, you know, USC... We're going to talk about USC's performance at ASU in a in a weird game with weird circumstances around them and all of that kind of stuff. And understanding that ASU was a team that's been weakened by a million things that are going on. Washington went to Michigan State under weird, uncertain circumstances and, and didn't have any of the road trouble that USC had on Saturday. So, like, I've been very impressed with Washington. Still a lot that they have to do, but they'll have that opportunity to do it. And that's sort of where I'm at with with USC on this. The polls don't matter because USC has not played anybody and they have stumbled defensively against two weak teams. So I don't begrudge anybody from the national media or elsewhere looking at this USC team and still putting doubt on USC's defense. USC's defense is working from a place of doubt and they need to create believers from doubters. They don't get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, So... Yeah, this is what happens when you let an Arizona State team put up 28 points on the road and you let it get to a point where you were uh, a possession up, you know, in the fourth quarter. The, the, you, you need to, if you are USC in USC's position, you need to blow out every opponent that isn't a ranked opponent in order to justify being in the top five when everybody else in the top 10 is winning ranked games. Pure circumstance because USC just hasn't had that opportunity yet. Yeah, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, so it just it just is the way it is. And I see a lot of people talking about like, why didn't Florida State get punished for uh, the Boston for, College for, game for Boston College or for In Clemson? Te- Texas with Wyoming last week. Yeah. Too. Well, technically, Florida State kind of did because Texas went and jumped over them. So you know that. But but more importantly, those two games last week came in a time in which there weren't any other games that uh had there were there weren't other big wins for teams to get and then jump teams with the uh impression of those wins right like this week penn state goes out and beats you know iowa ohio state goes on the road to beat notre dame those are wins that you add to to your resume with uh, and that's why the, there's jumping in the polls because you not only do you, you need a reason to knock somebody down, but you also need a reason to bring somebody up. Yeah. Um, and this week there was reasons for, for sort of both of those things. I honestly, and I know that people don't want to hear this. I think if SC was had won by, you know, 30 points, um, they probably 
go down in the polls anyways because because Ohio, because Ohio, Ohio State, State beats Notre Dame up. and that's considered a big win and they move up in the polls because that's how the polls work. And, uh, and Paul yeah. Paul in the chat is asking why does Washington get a free pass even though they give a million yards and points to Cal? Because Washington was up 45-12 at halftime. Like, it's really that simple. If USC had been up 42-13 at halftime, the perception of this game would be very different. Yeah. That's not what happened. And it, it, that's, that's sort of the way, the way it goes. Also, like, Florida State and their Clemson win, Clemson was picked to win the ACC this year. It's not the same thing as what USC did at ASU. Yeah. We... Went into the ASU, you can't revisionist history this, guys. We went into the ASU game talking about how this team is terrible because they are terrible. Circumstances have made sure that they are terrible. So don't, you know, take take your lumps, except that USC played a sloppy Pac-12 road opener, that they didn't they didn't look prepared, they, did, they, they were underestimating their opponents, and they got bit, but at least they didn't get bit in the sense of taking a loss, they just took a perception. They took a perception dip, and that's fine because guess what? You beat Colorado, your perception will rise. You beat Notre Dame, your perception will rise. You beat Utah and Washington and Oregon, your perception will be the number one team in the country. Like I'm, it's really that simple. Yeah, there's a ton of uh, of meat left on the uh, the the schedule for the for the Trojans to go out there uh, and move up in the polls that way. Um, did want to go to a comment we got in the chat that's from Chalison talking about how the polls uh, affect the college football playoff voters. I think, yes, I agree on those things. But I think it's important to remember that before the college football playoff rankings come out, the end of October, beginning of November, SC will have played Notre Dame and Utah by then. So, yes, I, I think that you want to establish a good ranking in the AP poll before then. Um, but I think the, I think one, the, the committee has shown that they are, they have the ability to break off what the AP poll does, even if the AP poll sets its trend. But more importantly, SC has two huge games before the rankings um, come out. So SC is going to be ranked bigly based on those things, right? Like that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, shake up things for the polls with as far as the, as the Trojans are concerned. But uh, let's get to the new kickoff times. Uh, the kickoff lottery for next week uh, happened today. Uh, and the USC-Arizona game week six will be another 7.30 p.m. kickoff, this time on ESPN. It's not on Fox. Yeah, uh, that's... Um, is this the first ESPN broadcast of the season? It's the sixth game? I believe so. Mm, two Pac-12 networks. And then everything else has been Fox. Fox big Fox. Fox. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Well, I mean, at least we won't have to put up S- with another Brando. SC has to... L- finally gets to leave that godforsaken scorebook. Yes. <laughs> well, it's back, it's, it's, it's back next week, so, you know. Well, yeah. this Saturday, but... At least we get to leave uh, Tim Brando behind. So there you go. I can confirm for my re- rewatch. Yes, they were just as insufferable <laughs> on rewatch as watching live. All right, uh, let's get to uh, talking about USC's win over Arizona State. Uh, the Trojans go on the road into uh, Tempe, into Mountain America Stadium, whatever the hell that is, uh, and 
they get they get a win and a, a sloppy win. I think that is the the prevailing way of discussing it. That that's the word that's been you know bandied out there a bunch, put out there a bunch. Uh, and you know we got a tweet um, from uh, Rise of the Kumquat uh, who sent over a uh, a link from uh, USC Athle- uh, analytics, analytics on on Twitter. Um, about uh, explosive plays, EPA, which is the estimated flight. I, I, it's 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 expected points added. Expected points added. There we go. Uh, with ex- without explosive plays calculated. So these are just you know predominantly you take out the explosive plays. For SC, it's negative four. For Arizona State, it's negative thirty. And I think this encapsulates USC's defense to AT. When you take out the explosive plays, this is the defense that is really damn good. The problem is the explosive plays exist. You don't get to take them out. It's this duality of like those things still exist. uh, And it's still something that SC's got to wrangle with because you can't just sit here and, and talk about forever about, well, you know, San Jose State, half their yards came on three plays. Uh, yeah, I think that in a, in a, in a silo, in, one, in a one-week, um, sorry, Nevada, uh, three, three plays were half their yards. In a silo, you can talk about that. When it's a game against Arizona State on the road and a game that, you know, ends up being labeled sloppy and all that stuff, you move down the poles and all of that, you got to get more to the problem. Uh, and the problem is SC has the ability to l- allow those plays that sort of tank everything else. Uh, and, you know, Troy on Twitter, Rise of the Kumquat, said uh, it's it's simpler to, to say than do, but it never ceases to amaze me how this defense would instantly go from a liability to one of the most elite units in the country if they just didn't give up r- random 15, 20-yard plays. And, yeah, that that's it. And, you know, I wrote back on Twitter that, to me, this is probably a sign of why uh, Alex Grinch has a ton of internal support. Because I think that if you are a believer in the Trojans, a believer in the defense, especially from the internal perspective, I think it's really easy to buy in and look at it and say, ah, but we're getting we're getting all those stops. Well, we got eight sacks. We're, uh, we we got all over it. It was just it was the fourth down play. It was the it was the fake punts, right? Like it's so easy to buy into all those things and overlook. Well, if we just make that tackle next time, then you know this is an elite defensive performance. It, it's but, easy to it's easy to blame players right, when you when you think I about think so. that because you can literally mm-hmm. take the the plays. You can take that the last touchdown that USC gave up and literally just isolate it to. Eric Gentry makes the play or Max Williams makes the play. Right. Yeah, I, I think you can you can use it as a way of saying, well, the, the, the scheme is working because the guys are in the right position. Right? Like yeah. they're they're there to make the play. Um doesn't get made, but if that if that play gets made, that tackle gets made, look how good uh everything else looks. And I get it in, in a in a way that that's it's it's hard to say that that's not the case. Um but you can't just keep having these technical issues at the same time. It's got to, the, the, you know, the, the criticism has got to focus somewhere. It can't just be completely scatterbrained. Yeah. Because when it comes down to it, if you are a coach or if you are a coaching staff or anything like that, and you are blaming the players, 
then you have it all wrong because in the end it's the coaches who put the players in their position to succeed or not and it's the coaches who determine who's on the field and it's the coaches coaches who coach the tackling who coach the pursuit who coach all of the things that uh that the players need to do and even more than like on offense i can imagine an offense where you have a good quarterback and a good wide receiver and just having those two great players can can make an offensive coordinator look better than they are um but on defense like one great player can only do so much your job as a coach is to make sure that all 11 players are all working in concert and all doing their job and all ready to make plays and mm-hmm. if you don't have guys who can make plays in your system then your system is wrong but y- yes i i think that that's how you can you can buy into it but i think that we can whether or not you, you know sc has the guys or not they've recruited all these guys out of the transfer portal yeah. this is this is the these are their dudes that they've chosen if right? mason cobb isn't good enough for your system then why did you bring him to USC? Right. If Shane Lee doesn't fit your system, then why did you bring him to USC? Mm-hmm. If Tackett Curtis can't operate in your system, well, he's a freshman, so whatever. Then why did like why are you playing? You know, there's there's a lot of things that are that to me, I I was somewhat sympathetic to the idea that in year one that was an issue, but we are in year two, it doesn't fly anymore. Yeah, for sure. Uh, w- when it comes to things like um, rewatching the game, uh, the perspectives often can change. Um, Alicia, where do you sit now, have you, having revisited uh, USC's win over Arizona State? Oh, okay. Up, um, down, sideways? Uh, stock neutral? <laughs> no, I am much more calm about it because watching it back, to me, it looked like a classic Pac-12 road opener in which USC's offense and defense, in almost equal measure, were playing very, very sloppy football. Mm-hmm. And it's the equal measure bit that, in a weird way, calms me a little bit because and special teams, too. Special teams was also just looked, uh, outside of Dennis Lynch, who was an just absolute superstar hitting the, the kicks that he hit, Um Everything about the game from Caleb Williams down to the worst performer on the field looked discombobulated and out of sorts. So it being more of a team, this is the first road trip. They, 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 they were just having a sloppy night on the road. Feels like a better explanation to me today than it did on Saturday night. Um, that doesn't excuse anything that happened. That doesn't excuse the fact that they were susceptible to those things. But it also makes a lot of sense that, that that's sort of just what it was. Um, but I come away from this with with a with a sort of pessimistic Alicia perspective and an optimistic Alicia perspective. So I kind of want to go through both of those because I, I think I have some complex thoughts that don't necessarily fit a like up or down thing because it depends on which direction I'm looking at the glass. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I think so. I think I think we gotta start we gotta start here. I I actually think this is a case of optimistic Alicia. Oh, Go you want to start with the, the the good news first and then ruin the vibes with the bad news. Well, no, it's just <laughs> the one on the left versus the button yeah. on the right. 
Okay. I read left to right, you know? Here's my optimistic take. Um, again, Pac-12 road opener. We should have seen this coming, really. More, more so than we did. Pac-12 road opener. Things get weird. It happens. Whatever. Just almost disregard. You got the win. Disregard. Move on. Um, I, I, I want to jump in here. I, I think that we didn't talk about the Pac-12 road opener stuff because uh, Arizona State looked like a team that was... The, their struggles uh, so far this season looked like it would far outweigh the history that SC has had year after year of the struggles of the Pac-12 road opener. You look at the struggles against Stanford last year, even though SC did get a big win. It was a weird, sloppy game Yeah, well, it wasn't uh, against a good Stanford. Game. And then you go on years over years, the the Oregon State loss. Uh, the, there was Washington State Was- got USC a few times. Washington State in 2017. Washington. There's Washington in 2009. Like, it's uh, Arizona State in 2011. Like, the, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, historically, it has been a relevant thing. And I think it's less about, so like, it's the Pac-12 road opener. And it's more about the, it's the first real road test um, that you get. Because sometimes you play a road game than the non-con that maybe isn't uh, overly difficult or, or, or whatnot. But this is the first true road test. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times on USC schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times it's Stanford, too. Because uh, SC has to play Stanford early. And so naturally, road games being more difficult, uh, especially the first one of the year, I think it makes sense that it ends up being a pattern. It was just going into it, SC was 35-point favorites. The, that seemed to be the prevailing thought over the uh, the history but looking of, of back everything on else. It, looking back on it, the line opened considerably lower than that. Yeah. And it moved because people were so confident in USC taking it. But, like, I think the odds makers sort of probably knew better that initially that this would be a little bit closer than than people expected. And then the line moves because the line moves based on the bets that are coming in, right? Um, also, it was a look-ahead game. Also, uh, as uh, um, R1 in the chat asked, like, was USC rusty coming off the bye week? Yeah, that's certainly also a, a factor. So there's just a lot of factors going in. So the optimistic take here is just, like, it was a weird game. Put it behind you. It's fine. Learn from it. Move on. It's not not right. a big deal. Um, the offense was incredibly sloppy. The pre-snap was a mess the whole way. Um, the offensive line I thought looked uh, uh had some really shaky moments. Um, USC refused to run the ball, and they still put up forty-two points because I choose not to run. Mario Williams a little bit of is a little bit of a good example of what went on with the offense last night. Like, yes, he dropped that that pass and it was costly, but he also came out and like caught a few other passes. was a, was an effective wide receiver for most of the game. Like, people are down on Mario Williams. He's still a very effective wide receiver. Um, Brendan, you know, Brendan Rice, Marshawn Lloyd, Taj Washington, dudes making plays all over the field. USC on a bad night, forty two points. So, you're you're. That's that's to me that's an optimistic sort of look at look at things like you're still not going to be in very much danger of being upset by anybody because you're still going to score 40 points on a bad night. That's right. That's that's just the way that USC is is operating on offense at this point. Mm-hmm. So on my rewatch, I didn't really pay attention to the offense because I know what I knew. I knew what was happening. The offense was bad on third down because they were shaky. 
in general, there were just miscues left and right from, from pretty much everybody from across the board. It was just weird. So I focused more on the defense in my rewatch. And what I came away with from the defense, I thought was very interesting because I very much missed it in the moment. But the defense at halftime, I tweeted that I really needed to see USC come out of the half and act like they knew that they were needing to sort of put their foot on the gas and like take care of business and, and get things dealt with. And I think the defense like responded in the second half. At least that was, that was my perception of, of how it went down. There was a, mm-hmm. a stretch of, of drives where USC settles for field goals and has a turnover on downs and has to, as a three and out and, there's a stretch where USC's offense can't do anything. And USC's defense responds with the Kalen Bullock interception. They force a punt. They get the fumble. Like, they are getting the stops when USC really needs them to get the stops because the USC's only up by six. And it did feel in the in in the moment to me like a an actual response from the defense. They force a punt on the first drive the second drive they give up a touchdown but like even that one was a weird face mask penalty that just is one of those ones that happens um and then the elijah badger badger uh touchdown over over uh sierra right like i'm inclined to credit a receiver for making the play to a certain point like you don't obviously don't want to excuse a, a touchdown that scored one-on-one but the things that I worry about on defense are very much not that kind of thing because receivers are going to go out there and make plays and sometimes your corners are going to get beaten and that's going to be okay in the end. So outside of that one, that sound of that touchdown, maybe like one or two other plays where, where USC really should be stopping uh Scadabo better than they are. The defense came to play in the second half, really. And to me, that was very encouraging actually, because the game didn't feel like it was in doubt to me during the game. And I didn't realize at the time, but that was because every time USC gave the ball back to ASU, ASU did nothing with it when they were in striking distance. And you have right. to credit the defense for that. Um, Mo- Most of what ASU did was in the first half, uh, especially when you look at, you know, they scored 13 points uh, in that first half, uh, three long drives, they had in the first, well, two long drives in the short field uh, in which they scored the touchdown, but they had two long drives to, to settle for field goals were in the first half. They, they did have the touchdown drive early in the third quarter, but outside of that, the, the, they had two of their touchdown drives were on the back of a 52-yard play in which the Trojans had two missed tackles and threw away a fourth down stop, which I'm sure you're going to get to in a minute. Um, and then the the short field and the fumble. Uh, those are two touchdown drives that ASU should not have had. Mm-hmm. And I think that this game drastically changes perception uh, if there's not the fumble on the exchange between Caleb Williams and Marshawn Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> and and then, you know, the, the drive at the end with with uh, with Scatterbo with the with the 52 yard. Um, catch because 
You take those out, uh, this is a completely different defensive performance. This is a completely different everything else. Um, and again, to go back to the point that we talked about where you take out the non-explosive ploy- plays and USC's defense looks great, I, I, I think that you can sit here and you can, you can see all the good things, but you still have to acknowledge that, like, but there's still those bad areas. And those bad areas, a better team, unlike ASU, is going to make SC pay for actually giving up those 14 points the way that they did. Yes, absolutely. But it, while we're on the optimistic side of things, like, I thought there was really good play. Bear Alexander was good. Romello Height and, and uh, Jamil Muhammad, both, both edges, uh, were the best players on the field for most of the night for USC. They were they were doing work. Um, I love the speed that those guys bring to be able to, the way that they run down plays on the edge is something that USC has not had, uh, and and that is a, a big big advantage for USC going forward. I think those those guys we can really look forward to see them continue to make plays. Um, so defensively, I am not an, in as much of a panic as I was. That's good, right? That's, That's good. good. I, I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. Yes. There you go. That is that is my my optimistic take is um, that USC's defense was very bad at stepping up when USC needed them to step up at times last year in terms of when your offense was struggling, you needed your defense to come come through, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was not not really the case in in this game. Uh, they 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 did come through in the end in the second quarter and we saw a reaction and uh, the one thing that I will give Alex Grinch is I think from my memory at least of, of games we are starting to see this season a second half reaction that is that is positive so that's op- that that's optimistic Alicia that's optimistic Alicia's thoughts on the game is that like there actually were defensive positives to take from this game that USC can really build on. Um, mm-hmm. as they move through a season where you hope that they clean things up as they go. Yeah. Uh, but to to go to, um, you know, you look at it, Paul in chat says, I, I too is not upset with the defense. I, I think the interesting thing is the so much of the takeaway and so much of the commentary from SC fans was, uh, an, you know, anti-Grinch. Um, we got calls about it. We're going to get to in the mailbag and all those things. And it's because... We're talking about this in the car cast. And the Alex Grinch defense doesn't have the benefit of the doubt because of the big plays that they do give up because of all the, because of the game against Tulane, because the Pac-12 championship game, because of the Arizona game last year, all those things, the trauma is, is, is strong. And I think that the moment you see uh, one, you know, uh, one of those plays, um, that SC gives up, it's more evidence that, hey, that problem still exists. And, you know, SC probably should have made the move at the end of last season and all that stuff. And it's easy to hit the, well, just fire Grinch button, right? But it's nuanced because this defense is weirdly nuanced uh, as it stands. But anyways, yeah. get get to your pessimistic views. Pessimistic Alicia is out in full force. Yeah, get to it. Okay, here's the pessimistic view. Um, missed tackles, missed assignments, big plays, uh, explosive plays mm-hmm. are not an anomaly of this defense. They are a hallmark of this defense. 
They have been since last year, since the year before too. Like <laughs> even I mean, wasn't even, that the Clancy Pendergast thing? Even pre all three of USC's most recent defensive core. I was having this conversation with my dad. He was asking just about the defenses, defense and like the the schematic sort of questions and all this kind of stuff. And we were talking about, um, I was talking about like the scale of ultra conservative to ultra aggressive defenses. And I would say that USC's last three defensive coordinators all tended toward the ultra aggressive side. Mm -hmm. Clancy Pendergast, Todd Orlando, now Alex Grinch. So they're all big on creating these big havoc plays all the time, havoc, 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 but also susceptible to big explosive plays as a result. And that if USC were to go out and look for a new defensive coordinator, I personally would like to see somebody a little bit more balanced takeover, having gone through three. You'd ultra- rather have the the Wilcox experience. Maybe again? I'd rather have the Wilcox experience, which is the opposite. But yeah. yeah, maybe don't swing too far over. But you know, uh, I mean, to be fair to Wilcox, it's worked everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it it's one of those things where this is what this defense is, and yeah. we hoped that USC stocking up with some better athletes would maybe cut down on the explosive plays that they give up. The problem is that they're still missing tackles. And to be fair, some of the guys who are missing tackles were the same guys that were missing tackles last year and the year before, and they keep playing. And so why do we expect things to be all that different? Um, but there is a frustration just like that this has been a consistent problem and USC's best players are susceptible to it. For instance, Kalen Bullock, theoretically, is USC's best player on defense, or at least when he's making plays, he certainly looks the part. Mm-hmm. That interception he has is beautiful. He almost has an even more ridiculous interception, diving, and, and he doesn't quite make the catch, but like he was almost in position to, to, to get it done. But he's at fault for the, the, the first touchdown. ASU runs the ball on third and 10. You and I are watching this play and you're like, why are they running? Like, are you sure that was not third? Are we sure that wasn't third down? Because like, why are they running the ball on third and 10? Yeah. And both of you. It's not like a, like one of those third and long draws that, that you just hope to, you know, pick up yards on, on against the zone defense or something. No, it's a, it's a run play. And both of USC's inside linebackers, um, I believe it was uh, Cobb and Gentry at that time. Uh, both they go both get washed out of the play. Uh, Scadu makes a cut, very very nice cut by the way. Dude, dude can play, and Bullock just completely misread the play and was out of position to make the, a very simple tackle that would have prevented a touchdown. Like, but that's the hallmark of this defense. And I'm not trying to like pick on Kalen Bullock, but when Bullock is making those mistakes. It stands out. And then you look at, well, who missed the tackles on that fourth down play? Eric Gentry and Max Williams. Veteran guys who have been here before. Um, who is is in the first half at least completely taken out of the game, whether by his own misreads of plays or by getting completely swallowed up by blockers on every single play. Mason Cobb, who was supposed to come in and, and, and help transform this defense. Um all over the Bryson Shaw missed some tackles that would have prevented third down conversions that would have ended drives. These things are annoyingly consistent across the lineup. And at a certain point, you can't expect explosive plays to stop happening against this defense when you're going to keep putting the same players out there and then expecting 
different results. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I my pessimistic side is as frustrated as I am because watching this game, certainly watching it back, there were some mind-boggling personnel decisions. Keon Bars, the big nose tackle that USC brings in to be a run stuffer in this defense. USC's run defense is getting eaten alive by by Cam Scadabo. It, it, it's, it's not good. And Keon Bars barely plays. Barely plays. He's tweeting on Sunday a cryptic message about, you know, having to, to you know, find the answers or whatever. Like, why is Keon Bars not playing in this game when the run defense is the problem and you need a run stopper in the middle? Even worse decision-making is why is Rajon Davis not on the field? And based on the last two weeks of play from Shane Lee, why is he not on the field either? Now, if there's injuries, I get it, but that's not been reported. If there's behavioral something or other, like if there was a shadow suspension or something like that, we don't know if that's the case. All we know is that Rajon Davis did not play a snap on defense in this game. Meanwhile, USC has Mason Cobb out there being actively bad in the, like <laughs> for most of this game. Has yeah. Tackett well, Curtis he, out there making freshman mistakes? Hey, hey, that's freshman of the week, Tackett Curtis. <laughs> Tell me you didn't watch the game without telling me you didn't. Let this, a lot of voters looked on the stat sheet to figure <laughs> out what which freshman they could give that award to. And congratulations, Tackett Curtis, for that award. But, like, two sacks at the end of the game in, in, in what amounted to garbage time is, does not a good performance make. Um but, but and to, the thing to, is, Tackett Curtis was, it, on my rewatch, Tackett Curtis was miles better than Mason Cobb was. Well, t- so well, Cobb had something like 70, I think it was, seven, was it 74 snaps? And he had one tackle. One tackle? That's yeah. unacceptable. That's un- Maybe he's rusty from, as, from as the injury. As a captain injury. of the defense, that's, that's, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, maybe he's rusty from, from, from the, the time off. Uh, that's, that's entirely possible. But, like, at a certain point, why... Why is Rajon Davis getting blanked? Why is Shane Lee getting blanked when we spent the last two weeks? And like, I don't want to jump to conclusions here because the the we don't have enough evidence to support this theory. But I can't help but question why it is that the two games that Mason Cobb has started this year result in 28 points for the opposing team. And the two games were the primary linebackers for USC are Rajon Davis and Shane Lee result in 14 points and 10 points for the opposing team. I And I'm again, I'm not trying to pick on Mason Cobb, who it's, was a tackle machine at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State. So like we know he can play. So where like what is being done to put him in the right position? Maybe they need to protect the new transfer a little bit and let him get his feet under him. And let someone like Rajon Davis, who has clearly picked up the defense quicker, play. I, uh, to me, to me, the biggest argument for being pessimistic about this defensive performance, given everything I just said optimistically, is that Alex Grinch and his staff did not recognize at any point that there were players on the sideline who could help them in this game defensively. And they didn't play them, specifically at linebacker specifically at linebacker, which is far USC secondary has its issues. I'm not happy with the safety play. 
very often. Um, but the line, the inside linebackers are the problem. It's them. They're the problem. Mm-hmm. They have been the problem. And I put this on Twitter. Like USC hasn't had a good linebacker or hasn't had good linebacker play since Cam Smith. Cam Smith graduated in 2018. Yeah. And he wasn't all that good in 2018 either. So maybe the last time USC had good linebacker play was 2017. And, and I mean, were, were, were people happy with the linebacker play in 2017 either? Like, uh, I was certainly more happy. Sure. Uh, okay, 2016 with Michael Hutchins. That was uh, Hutchings. That was I mean, the, the last time Hutchins USC had, had the, the biggest tackle of this century. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay, I have I have I have one more point on okay. my on my pessimistic. I have two more points. Quick points. Um, number one, pessimistic take. I get that we can say this was a Pac-12 road opener. I get that you can say you were overlooking an opponent. I get that you can say that it was it was a road test, all that kind of stuff. But like. Overlooking an opponent and playing sloppy on the road is how you lose to Cal. Mm-hmm. Big, big trap game in November. Yeah. It's how you lose to Cal. So, like, mm, pay attention. Uh, number two, the offensive line had a lot of issues in this game. Good offensive line. Like, Jonah Monheim has been outstanding for three games this season. He got eaten alive at times against ASU. USC's interior lineman got eaten alive. Justin Dieters was making pre-snap mistakes. Um, the offensive line had issues and it it definitely helped put the offense out of sorts and out of uh, created some miscues. Caleb Williams bailed out the offensive line a lot on Saturday. The, his, the touchdown run that he had, the offensive line absolutely collapsed on two, two, two plays in a row, like completely failed two plays in a row and he created a touchdown out of it. So thank God for Caleb Williams. But like, I'm willing to put the pause on that sort of pessimism and say like everybody on offense was out, was out of sorts. So, Mm -hmm. and they still scored 42 points. So like that was uncharacteristic of USC's offense. What we saw, the problem for USC's defense is it was characteristic what we saw and, and USC's offense was uncharacteristically sloppy. So like I will give them more of a pass, but if we are looking five or six weeks down the line at a USC team that has lost a couple, um, a couple games, we may be looking at the offensive line as as the culprit based on this performance. I'm not ready to go there, but this is the pessimistic element of the podcast, so that's just me. Yeah, I I I think that you're pretty spot on with everything. Yeah, I, I think you look at you look at SC's performance, and a lot of those a lot of those issues SC can weather because they score on offense and because they are so damn good on offense, which is. Sort of why in the preseason we were talking about the defense just has to be a top 50 defense because the offense is so damn good that they're going to cover up so many of the cracks. Um, and, you know, you point back to what, you know, LSU won despite having a not good head coach, right? Like uh, with in the incredible offense that was like the greatest offense ever assembled, right? If SC could channel an offense that was that good, think of how much of a sloppy defense you could have much of a sloppy offensive line you could have if you could still score uh anyways uh all those things but you got you got to get through it you got to you got to be able to get through those things and uh still get those wins which SC did 
Now they go on the road again. Another another weird timed game with weird elements. 9 a.m. All those things uh, on on Saturday against Colorado. We'll talk about more of that about that. Uh, of course, on Wednesday, uh, let's get to the over-under. Um, look back at our over-under picks from uh, last week in the ASU game. Shall we? So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right. Let's start by looking at last week's records. Going into it. I was 10 and 8. You were 9 and 9. Our pre week uh, standings. Uh, we start with your first over under, which was two and a half ASU giveaways. The Sun Devils had committed eight turnovers uh, in their previous game against Fresno State. Uh, I took the under. I had faith in the Sun Devil offense a little bit, I guess, uh, which locked you into the over. Uh, and it was under. They only had two. Nearly got a third. Well, uh, the, the but... refs gave them <laughs> gave them a third for no good reason. Uh, Kalen, if Kalen Bullock makes that uh, incredible diving catch, then mm-hmm. I'm good. And if the refs decide to inexplicably not re- review what was very clearly not an interception by USC uh, later on in the game, I'm, I'm golden. But alas. Yeah, very, very nearly. Yes, he got this one. Uh, it was funny because over on Discord, which you can always join if you're a member of the podcast and join the Rot Squad, four ninety nine a month, you get all of our bonus content and access to the Discord. Uh, in the middle of the game, I'm like looking up the over under stuff. I'm like, there's two lines that are that are possibly in play here, and one of them was the turnovers. And like a minute later, that thing happened, and then it got overturned. So. Uh, yeah, I get the uh, I get the point there. It was two. It was under. Uh, my first over under was over under one and a half quarters until ASU scores, because the Sun Devils had gone six full scoreless quarters. Would they go and have any full scoreless quarters in this game? Uh, the line was one and a half, meaning essentially would ASU score in the first half? Uh, they did. They scored pretty early in the first quarter. Uh, you had taken the under, uh, I took the, which locks me into the over, uh, and it was under, it was, uh, zero, zero full quarters of, uh, scorelessness for, for ASU. It, it does not speak well of USC's defense that ASU scored in every quarter of this game, considering how many quarters they've been blanked in this year. Yeah, so. that's... Unexpected. I think yeah. that, that might be, have been the most unexpected aspect to any of this. Yeah. ASU did not have a single scoreless quarter. Wild. Wild. Who would have pre- predicted that going in? Uh, next one, you said uh, over under 4.71 yards per carry for the Trojans. Uh, I was bullish on this one. I took the over. Uh, it was over. That was because SC got a really good performance out of Marshawn Lloyd. He was tremendous for the Trojans, 100 uh, and uh, 54 yards. And uh, <laughs> that's that's the easy over. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 7.3 yards per carry. Yeah. 7.3 yards per carry were the Trojans. Uh, let's go. 8.4 yards per carry adjusted uh, without sacks. Mm-hmm. Marshawn Lloyd, 
Um, so we could have doubled almost my, uh, my yeah. over-under. Yeah, I mean, you look at the yards per carry average for uh, Marshawn Lloyd. It was 11, which is absolutely nuts. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, it was over-under 35% uh, available yardage gained for ASU. Uh, available yardage means if you start at the 25, there's 75 yards that you have the ability to gain theoretically if you gain 50 of those 70 yards then that's 66.7 percent of your available yardage if you score a touchdown that's 100 percent. that's how it works well the line was 35 percent uh you took what did you do you took the over which locked me into the under uh asu went and got over 41.8% of their available yardage, they gained 353 yards out of a possible 844. The interesting thing is, uh, I got to do the math on this one. 301 divided by, what is it, 844? I, I'm 35.6. Seeing... They still would have gotten it even without the 52-yard touchdown mm, at the end. At the end, okay. Yeah. It would have been close. It would have been like right on the nose, but there, they still would have got it. There were... There were too many drives that, that like they they had two drives in the first half that they ended up getting field goals on that mm-hmm. drove straight down the field right into the the goal line. So, yeah, too many too many of those. Yeah, just just a little bit. Uh, let's get to your third and final over under, which was over under six and a half plays of twenty plus yards for the Trojans. This was one of the ones I put in the chat over on Discord in the, in the middle of the fourth quarter. I'm like, hey, SC's <laughs> only at six. Uh, I was a big over on this one, which locked you into the under. It was over seven because SC got a big touchdown pass to uh, Dodge Washington to have the final sort of exclamation point. Uh, The Trojans finished with uh, exactly seven plays of 20 plus yards. So it was a good line. Like, I mean, it wasn't a bad, it wasn't a bad line. It was right there. Absolutely. Uh, let's get to my final over-under, which was over-under 4.52 yards per play for the Sun Devils. Trojans had held Rice to that much last year. That's kind of where I was setting this line off of. Um, you took the over. You were confident in ASU's ability to gain yards. It was over, 4.97. This is a line that in the middle of the game fluctuated wildly because... ASU had a couple of big plays that kind of changed the perception of the yards per play average. At, at one point, I think it was the first half, you know, SC fans frustrated with the first half, rightfully so, with the defense giving up 13 points, three scoring drives in the first half. Uh, I'm pretty sure that in the first half alone, I'm pulling it up right now, first half, yards per play, yeah, 4.4. ASU would have been under. That's and that's unexpected. That's how the that's how the defense operates, though. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Um. So, all told, uh, we both went three and three this week, as we usually tend to do. <laughs> uh, for the season, I'm thirteen and eleven. You're twelve and twelve. Uh, did anyone go perfect among the rot bots? Yes, three people. Stephen Chad. Uh. Sean from Beautiful, 
uh, beautiful mid city. It's a beautiful mid city. Yes. Uh, and, and Shakar uh, all went six and oh. Uh, great job, you guys. Uh, and then the season leader so far uh, among the Rotbots, it's Jay Vandy in first place, 20 and four, followed by Vince in San Dimas at 19 and five. Uh, and then uh, Sean and Steven are right there tied for third, uh, 18 and four. Uh, as always, you can guys can compete. Uh, the the Rotbots can compete in, in uh, Rain of Troy over unders uh, by going and getting the link uh, in the uh, in the show notes uh, in every um, in every preview episode I just realized uh, Sean and Steven are 18 and six not 18 and four don't don't look at the graphics the <laughs> graphics are wrong that's the point uh, all right uh, let's get to um, the mailbag where we've got a bunch of questions from you guys and voicemails as well. You've got mail. All right. We got to start with a voicemail that we got from our good friends, L.A. Fred. Hey, Ray and Troy. This is L.A. Fred. The defense that we're playing right now is just good enough to make plays and stops on first and second downs, but they're just bad enough to give up the big plays on third and fourth down that make us all pull, want to pull our hair out. I'm the first to admit I'm quick to criticize Grinch in the defense, but looking at the overall picture, big picture, it is so vastly improved from last year, it's not even funny. And remember, we're only two years removed from the gosh darn Helton era disaster. Lastly, I wanted to say this. It's taken me many years, but I finally have figured out the pure Dr. Evil level genius marketing strategy that Michael and Alicia at Rain of Troy are, are running. They want USC to win, but play just badly enough so that folks out there are pissed off and will flood the rant line to vent. If you notice the other week when they blew out Stanford, hardly anybody called the rant or rave line, and Michael didn't even have a chance to put together a montage for it. This week, the Trojans win by multiple touchdowns on the road, and I bet the, the voicemail was filled by halftime. Pure PhD-level genius by Raina Troy. Have a great week, and fight on, everybody. You know, I, this sounds right. Um, you know, it'd be, it's... It's always good for business are the uh, the close games. Yeah, uh, you know people tune into the podcast more when it's a uh, like a bowl win or it's a loss where people are mad and just want us to. Though that that's when people really tune in. Uh, but we've learned that this year I don't think anyone wants a call period. Um, <laughs> You know, they don't like the new number, is what I'm Is, is, what is I'm that getting. what it is? Is it the number? We lost one USC, and everyone's just, like, out we, on the rant, the rant line. There were, t- like, 2017, we were getting, like, 50 calls a week. You were you were having to put would, together, like, a 10-minute rant line. And I would have to go. It was, like, it was like eight hours of work to put together the rant line montage. This week, we got four calls. Lacking rot bots. And it's like, I, you know, some of them are just like little, little things that we can't really like don't work in a mailbag, but they don't work. They work in a montage, but like, how do you put them in a montage when they're just, when you get one call, that's just like a random little soundbite doesn't, doesn't always work. Maybe, maybe everybody who's inclined to call into the rant line, um, goes to sleep early. They, they turn off the game and went straight to bed. I don't know. 
They hate us. People hate us. But if you call, but, if you call us, keep, keep keep calling in. For sure. That was a good call. Um Yes. Uh, 100%. I think there's that's absolutely our read on the defense for sure. Um and that's one thing that I I I see a lot of people talking about how like it's just the same defense as last year. It's just the same same defense. I don't think that's the case. I I really do think that the front the the defensive line is significantly improved. Um, the the edges are are better. Um, the the defensive line is more capable. Um, I just wish that the linebackers were significantly better than they are because I really think that's the problem. Yeah. That's Aside from just like one. the scheme and not making them getting the most out of the players that USC has available to them, but right. It's one of the places where I see definitely uh, can improve there. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from uh, Dave in Orange County. Detroit Radio, what's up? This is Dave in Orange County. So I want to be the guy that kind of calls in for the rent line and then bypasses the rave line, but I guess that's just kind of how it's going to be this week. Not a lot uh, to rave about this weekend. I mean, sure, you know, Caleb Williams did some things. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd did some things, but... Defense did some things, got some eight sacks, but it just wasn't quite the stellar performance that we expected. I think I probably went about 0-6 on my over-unders because I just expected a blowout. When you're facing the third-string running, uh, third-string quarterback from the, the opposing team, you just expect to kind of dominate. We expected to be in the 50s, and Arizona State be close to zero, but... Hats off to Arizona State. They played outside of their norm. They pulled every trick in the book to get to a two-score a two score game. Ultimately, Caleb Williams was, was looking rusty. He wasn't looking too fine. Thankfully, we prevailed. We pulled out the win. We go on to fight another day. Hope it's just a little rust from the bye. Run the ball. Let's pound Colorado next week. Let's do the damn thing and get back. To that feeling um uh, the sc is just going to go on and do some great things this week so uh to all the rock bots out there hope you had a chance to enjoy some of the victory but let's get some more we're all hungry fight out <laughs> thanks dave that's a, that's a great call as always um yeah i i i think that there's it's perfectly reasonable to be dissatisfied with that with that game I think it's perfectly reasonable to be wanting to look ahead and see more from this team um <laughs> I, I I I don't think you're you're off base at all there yeah I I you know this is one of the confounding things about like it's head and heart but not just head and heart it's like both sides of the brain you know uh on one side, you look at it and you're like, "Yeah, that should have been absolutely a blowout." The other side, you're like, "Yeah, I mean, teams do struggle after bye weeks. I mean, it is the road opener. I mean, ASU, yeah, they didn't have anything to lose. Uh, they they could have just, you know, tried a million trick plays. And I mean, what what can you do with a trick play? Then next thing you know, you're like, "Yeah, 14 point win was that was pretty good, even though it was 35 point spread, right? Like, yeah, uh, all these things, uh, you know, tend to." Uh, Tend to be there. Nuance, uh, certainly. Uh, let's go to a call we got from uh, Hawaii. 
Michael, Alicia, unless we get rid of Grinch, we're never making the playoff except for next year, and we'll never win a national championship. It was a horrible ASU game. Maybe they can fire him on the tournament. Aloha. What do you, what do you think? If, if, it was the ASU tar- tarmac. It so. was yeah, ten years, ten yeah. years removed from the tarmac game. Uh, what what would you think? If, like, if there would have been a tarmac situation, um, what what would have gone through your mind? I would have been absolutely stunned. The same way that I was absolutely stunned when Lane Kiffin got tarmacked, and I thought it was a mistake yes. uh, at the well, time. And I, not that I would think it would be a mistake now, but it would feel like a, why now? Like that, that's, that's I, counter. Unless you told me that you had a chat with Jim Leonard over at, uh, where is he at? He's like a, a, an analyst for Wisconsin or whatever. Not, not Wisconsin. He's uh, Illinois. Jim Leonard's at freaking Illinois as a analyst or whatever. Unless you told me he, you were bringing him in to run the defense, then I, I just don't see the point. Um, one thing that I, I want to point out to, to the whole fire Grinch thing is uh, if you fired Grinch, who would be promoted to defensive coordinator? Yeah. That's... Defensive coordinator, I expect, would be Brian Odom, who is the associate head coach for defense. Brian Odom, the man who is coaching the inside linebackers, the worst unit on USC's defense. So, I, d- I don't know. That just... I can't get fired up about that prospect, guys. I just can't. You don't think it would be Greg Brown? Um, may- maybe. See, again, this is all pointless to talk about, but, like, um, it's not like there's a Cliff Kingsbury waiting in the wings. I mean, Greg Brown is that guy. Um, but, like, the the it's not like there, like I said, it's not like there's a Cliff Kingsbury on, on the defensive side of the ball that's just waiting in the wings uh, in case the worst case scenario happened but also no no defensive coordinators ever been fired after a 28 point performance in the middle of the season yeah uh they would have had to given up 50 and lose the game i think for that to seriously uh be a thing yeah um yeah let's go to uh a youtube comment that we got um from from eddie after the eddie valencia after the car cast the other night is it a blessing or a curse having four cupcake games to start the season i saw this and i'm like we need to discuss that on the pod because i think it can be both i i I think the, the you know what the problem is about four cupcake games to start the season overreactions because the overreactions go both ways after the Stanford game, you know, you have that great, perfect first half and the overreactions can be, well, that was the greatest performance in the history of statistics. Um, the greatest performance we've seen in the history of man. I, will they ever top this? Uh, this is, you know, th- this team is bound for the playoffs and blah, blah, blah. Um, offensively and defensively and all these things. And then, you know, you play a team that is, you know, inferior, uh, like uh, Arizona State, and you don't beat them the same way. Uh, and then the overreactions go in the opposite way. Oh, oh the SC will never go anywhere. Uh, you see people, 
the number of times I saw comments on Twitter or even in our chat about like, oh, this is the Clay Helton era all over again. <laughs> and it's like, I, I understand the frustration. I understand the expectations are sky high. And if not, when you don't meet the expectations, there, there is uh, consequence and criticism and all those things. But also, let's reel it in a little bit. And let's not choose to be miserable. This is not the Clay Helton era and SC won by two touchdowns on the road. And yes, well, the game was six points for probably longer than it should have been, certainly in that third quarter. Um, it's not like SC was truly ever with their backs to the wall or anything. Like, let's just settle down a little bit. Like, if you had, you know, games against... Uh, against more difficult opponents, I think that the the reactions to SC in general would be more level-headed in the sense that not level-headed, but like more. Um, we would we would feel more confident in what we are seeing, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, with with more knowledge to say that this matters because this this matters because that because we can sit here and say, well, oh, maybe it was just an off night. Or maybe this is indicative of of the the true problems, and it's like it's probably a mixture of both. But both of those things can be rendered meaningless a week from now. Whereas if you do that against the a meaningful opponent, the the weight just speaks more clearly. Yeah, I I think that that's the the downside of of the cupcakes is that. Um when you're playing a, a tough team on the road, or not tough, a, a, a tough circumstance game on the road, it, it just sort of all gets magnified because people expected you to blow out ASU. Swap out ASU for, I don't know, someone of Oregon State stature, mm-hmm. basically what USC had last year. And people are still big mad, but, uh, but it, you know, it, it's not as much of a, a an indictment because people didn't expect it to be a runaway win. I also don't think it helps that USC fans and, and others sort of watched Oregon absolutely demolish Colorado uh, mm-hmm. on the same day. It doesn't help that Washington is demolishing Cal at the same time that USC is struggling against ASU. Uh, so it's all just sort of perceptions. But uh, when it comes down to it, I think the thing I like the least about the four cupcakes at the start of the season is that USC itself doesn't get to do a lot of self-scouting because they're not playing anybody who's really going to challenge them for real. And so you get your sort of first challenge from an ASU team that's that's not even close to the biggest challenge you're going to be facing this year. Um, and it just sort of, you get punched in the mouth and it, and it feels bad. Stanford being good for, for when they were good was kind of helpful because there was always at least the Stanford game in there. Uh, to to be sort of, but there the, was also the false positives. There stuff. were always false positives yeah. with Stanford, and and yeah, that's that's fair. But uh, like I I said in the past, I kind of wish USC played something closer to Oregon's schedule, in that Oregon had to play Texas Tech, and Texas Tech might not be a good team. You know that might that game was sort of weird and and didn't make Oregon fans feel good for sure, but at least Texas Tech was like was Texas Tech and and not. San Jose State and Nevada and the worst Stanford team that you yeah. can have seen in a while. And and it's not USC's fault necessarily because it's not like they, it's not like USC picked Stanford and ASU 
this mm-hmm. Stanford and this ASU. In there have been years past where having Stanford and ASU as their first Pac-12 matchups would have been absolutely just very dangerous matchups. Both yeah. of those teams have been much, much better than than they are now. So I don't know. It's there's a push and a pull. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, let's go to questions we got here uh, on the old YouTubes. Um, Paul says, why does FSU get a pass for surviving Clemson in overtime, but USC drops to eight for lacking style points? Because again, Clemson was favored to win the ACC this year. And Clemson, Clemson is a fringe top 25 team. Like they're not very good, but they're still fringe top 25. ASU is nothing close to that. It's not, it's not comparable. Also, USC drops, USC's drop has so much to do with the teams that jumped them all beating ranked teams this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that's what like, I was saying. Like you like, said, like it, it it's the the poll is multi dimensional, um, and so that matters a hell of a lot too. Um, the other thing is, uh, my biggest takeaway from the poll in general is that the Pac-12 is getting the benefit of the doubt for losses. Um, mm-hmm. Oregon State dropped from uh, 14 to 19. And I think Pac-12 fans have it in their, their head, and right, rightfully so, pessimistically, that you're 14th and then you lose and then you're way out of the poll. It's over. So long for you. Bye. Uh, whereas you think of games where, like, Mississippi State is suddenly at the back end of the poll and they barely lose to, to get blown out by Alabama or whatever. Um, Oregon state dropped five spots, but they dropped five spots, including a spot to Washington state, the team that beat them. Um, that is, and now that's the, that's the thing that you always wanted the, the, the PAC 12 to get the respect there. Right. And now, and now we have a Friday matchup coming up where Utah is playing Oregon State and both of them are ranked and we've seen and both this, of them are in the top 20. We've seen this so many times in the past where the week before a Pac-12 a sort of fringe uh, you know top 20 Pac-12 team loses to another ranked Pac-12 team and they fall out of the polls and then they play the team that is ranked and it's a ranked versus an unranked matchup and then and then there's like an upset and everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, like the ranked Pac-12 team got upset by an unranked team, blah, blah, blah. But in fact, it was an Oregon State team that was, should have been ranked the whole damn time. Right. Uh, so, yeah. The they're, pers- they're 27th if you include other receiving votes or something. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think Utah's in trouble in that game, by the way. Uh, which might be, if you want to <laughs> have a pessimistic view of USC in the college football playoff rankings, which, again, don't matter because in the end, if USC wins the games that they need to win, it will they'll be fine. But uh, I think there's a non-zero chance um, that Utah, by the time USC plays them, um, will have picked up a couple losses. But this is also me doubting Utah, which means that Utah is going to blow out Oregon State and Cam Rising is going to look like a Heisman winner. And uh, and yeah. I, I saw someone say that uh, Washington State should be higher because they're the only team in the country that has two ranked wins. And... Um, I was I was thinking about it like I first of all I think Florida State has two rank wins. Um, Cle- they just don't get credit for Clemson anymore, depending on how you count it. Yeah, uh, because Clemson is now out of the poll. This is the other problem: is like at what point the ranked wins to me the ranked wins are at the end of the season. What is the team in the top twenty-five? Now we're talking. That's about when them. they should matter the most. Yes, yeah. I do think the the 
ranking of the week matters, but you know, with within context of what that means. Um, let's go to a question from, from Joey. Do you know of any other team in college football that runs a one gap attack defense? Promise, I'm not asking this to criticize Grinch. I'm just curious if any other teams run it so I can compare. Uh, this is when I sit here and say I'm not at like I do not have the brain capacity uh, to talk X's and O's with any serious sort of I I I, I haven't slept that that many holiday ends to to fake that one. It would be clutch. Do you have the answer? I don't. It would be clutch if there was some sort of database that we could look at and see something like, um, something like, what kind of offense does this team run? What kind of defense does this team run? That would be absolutely clutch. It just does not exist. exist. It would just say multiple. Everyone would say multiple, multiple. So it wouldn't wouldn't do it. I'm. I can't say definitively. I'm just gonna say like Alex Grinch is not out on a limb here. There are certainly others who are running a, a scheme that is that is 100% similar to his. I just, I don't, I don't, I can't come up on top of my head. I would love to to be able to sort of see that a little bit more closely. But um, Ben says USC should beat teams like Colorado if they don't the same way that Oregon did. Is it really that great? Uh, the, the old comparative scores game. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. People will do it. People will do it, but... Anybody who's trying to do comparative scores between USC and Oregon with this game, aside from the fact that Oregon physically dominated Colorado, you want to see USC physically dominate Colorado in mm-hmm. a similar way. That's what you can sort of compare. But if you're talking comparative comparative scores, Oregon at Autzen against Colorado and USC at Colorado at 9, at 9 a.m. a.m. Yeah. is a completely different scenario yeah. It, they're not comparable circumstances. This needs to be more of an eye test comparison. You just want to versus... see that USC can outdo Colorado. You want to see that USC's defense can can unsettle Shooter Sanders in a very similar way to the, to the way that Oregon did. Mm-hmm. You want to see USC's offense be too much for Colorado's defense the way that Oregon's was. But it's not it doesn't come down to like you need to put put up 70 on Colorado in order to make it comparable with with uh, with Oregon. It's it's and also like if USC USC beats Colorado eighty to nothing, that doesn't mean that USC had a better win than than Oregon. It just means that like it could as much be mean that Colorado was completely demoralized and and unfocused by the win the week mm-hmm. before. It's just not the same, not the same thing. Don't 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 compare scores. Yeah, um, but it's going to be inevitable that that will be the case. I think we will absolutely compare the scores. The The important thing is, do you win with the game control that Oregon did? Uh, or at least have some semblance of the same game control that Oregon did. That's the important part, I, I think, there. Um, uh, Sager says, what's more gross, the obvious hate that Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman had for USC or the Pac-12 refs? Okay, I want to talk about this for a second here because I don't like talking negatively about broadcasters 99% of the time. They have a difficult job. I think most of the criticism that broadcasters get is, oh, they don't like my team. And so much of that is is misinterpreted um, objectivity because the broadcasters are rooting for a game that is interesting. 
interesting to the neutral, especially on a neutral broadcast. Yes. The bro- and they the broadcasters, want what makes a good story. They don't want to watch a blowout. Yes. And I think that, yeah, uh, ASU making it a good game is the better story nationally for the most for most people watching than it is um, just sitting there and talking all about the fawning over all the little things that SC does. So in the grand scheme of things, like that exists with the exception, I think of this broadcast team. Um, Spencer Tillman went to Oklahoma. um, And I'm not going to say that, you know, he went to Oklahoma and so then therefore he must hate Lincoln Riley. I think that's, it's a little too, reductionist at the same time it seems like there is this like preconceived uh like agenda there that i don't quite understand otherwise because in the first quarter before sc had even really truly been sloppy enough to make this like a game uh right after the first fumble there were like there was a there was a discussion about whether or not SC is truly as good as people say that they are, and like that's almost verbatim what what Spencer Tillman said. And I'm like, let the game play out. Like, yeah, I, I maybe that maybe that's the case, but let the game play out before you have have that discussion in the third quarter when it's a six point deficit. I mean, SC is is has a six point lead. Don't have that discussion in the first quarter. Like. Yeah, there there was there's what? definitely some hate. It was a mix of some inherent bias for the the broadcasters and also the very understandable broadcast mindset of the upset bid is way more interesting to to, to call. Right. Like they, yeah. they were giddy for the upset bid. Yeah, which and, I, I get I, and in like, most but, cases. Yes, but see like good broadcasters Good broadcasters can find a balance between wanting the upset bid and not being so obvious about it and and not not sell like the good thing that like the the good thing that um that people like um uh uh Gus Gus uh Gus Johnson does is that like he's excited for everything. Like sometimes right. he's way too excited for things, but he's excited for everything in the game. Where to me, Tim Brando's mistake was he was Gus Johnson levels of excitement for everything that ASU did and well, sounded like he was at a funeral for well, the other half of the it, game. Like, the Taj Washington touchdown is comedy. The way that he is it, actively rooting for there to be a penalty because Taj like, Washington was pushed, pushed out of bounds. It's like, like Liverpool fans and your... And, uh, and, uh, and Martin Tyler. And Martin Tyler, yeah. yeah. The Liverpool fans are convinced that Martin Tyler sounds like he's at a funeral every time he has to call a Liverpool goal. And they do these side-by-sides with Martin Tyler making the call and, like, Peter Drury, who's on another broadcaster, making a call. And it's like, you can, like... Again... For me, the Martin Tyler thing is he wants the upset bid, so he's sort of disappointed when Liverpool score and, and there's no upset bid. Um, but like Peter Drury seems seems to me to to understand the an exciting football play, regardless of which team is doing it. Right. And I think that's where the balance the balance goes off. Like you need to still be working the middle. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think that, yeah, it, it seems to me like with the Brando call, like there is a preset, like he goes into the game with the notion of how he wants to call the game. Um, Sometimes that, that, I think the Stanford game, I think, I think he went into it with a lot of SE favor, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. There's not my favorite broadcast. I, I will, I will stop <laughs> no. there. I will stop there. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah. Uh, Ron Murdy says, do you expect Lincoln Riley to use this game as a tool to fix the problems going forward? I, I think he'd like to say yes. That's the way they should be approaching it. Yeah. Right? Like that's every hiccup kind of game that you have, it's important, number one, that you get out of it with the win. No harm, no foul. And then number two, learn from it. Yeah. Like for instance, maybe Alex Grinch next week, maybe put number nine on the field. I don't know. The 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 other thing is if this is the clunker that you get through and then you learn from it and four weeks from now SC beats Utah and they're like, well, we couldn't have done this without the, you know, the mistakes that we made in ASU and then we overcame and blah, blah, blah. like, okay, maybe that happens, but you have to prove that you, you have to, you have to earn that. Right. Well, go earn it then. Yeah. Um, Michael says, uh, Michael Enright, great name, by the way, uh, ASU post game interview. We knew that we could run the ball on these guys. How worried should we be? Um, I think this is the area that I think that is the most concerning to me because the way that they were running the ball to me was um, USC's linebackers not being involved enough and uh, occasionally a, a safety not making a play. But really when it comes down to it, like if your safeties are having to make tackles on, on run plays, then your your linebackers aren't doing the job. So, yeah. I Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, what I said before about Keon Bars, like, okay, yeah. Well, to, to go off that, we got a question from Lamont that says, do you have any thoughts on why we're sticking with Max Williams over Zion Branch? Smaller safety going up against a big tight end or running back has been a problem for years. I have an answer for this one. Uh, I don't remember which game it was. It might have been San Jose State. It might have been Nevada. But... I remember on my rewatch very distinctly going like Zion Branch needs uh, needs some needs some work. He needs to get in the playbook and and know what's going on on the field. Um, so yes, ideally you would have Zion Branch coming through. Ideally you'd have Christian Pierce coming through. But at the same time, it's you're just never gonna see uh, freshmen come in over established veteran starters unless they really have a grasp on the playbook and uh, know exactly where they're supposed to be. The thing about Max Williams is that he just misses tackles. Well, he, but, he's the, the thing about Max Williams is everyone always comments on how high his his football IQ is. That's always been the case with him. He's always in the right spot. Uh, and I think that that's how you win over, um, you win reps for yourself, right? The problem yeah, is because the in, missed tackles. Yes, because but in, pra- in practice where you're not live tackling, the coaches aren't going to see you and your biggest area of weakness as as, yeah. as clearly a as a player who is young and doesn't quite know the playbook and doesn't quite have everything down yet, which is completely 
within reason for someone uh, who is still very young and doesn't have a lot of experience. Like those things are going to be way more highlighted in, in practice when they're determining who's going to be out there on the field than a sense of who can and can't tackle, which might be why the tackling is so bad. Yeah. Um, let's go to a question from, uh, from Sagers who says, what's the, what's the biggest road win in the last 14 years? 2011 at Oregon or 2016 at Washington? 2016 at Washington for me. I, I this is one this is one of those questions that I think that every time I I see this I think there's a different answer. I think it probably is the Washington game, especially because SC sort of dominated that game, and that's a that's a playoff team, playoff Washington team, where the Oregon game they almost blew it. And I think that, you know, if it's not for the missed field goal at the end, how much does that change that narrative? Um, obviously, the the win is a win, and I'm not taking anything away from the win, obviously. Um, but, like, the Washington game was never in doubt. It was just completely in control. And, and more unexpected, I think, too. Way more unexpected because Clay Helton's reputation had been on the road bad also against good coaches bad. Yeah. So. Well, we had talked to them about it all season. Like, you know, SC struggled early in the year, but they had turned everything around. We're like, yeah, we'll, we'll believe when they go meet Washington. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and then they did. Yeah. They did. Uh, last question. Cameron says, what are your thoughts on Big Brother 25 so far? Who are your favorites? And who do you think will win? Uh, it has been an interesting season, to say the least. I don't know that it has the best gameplay, but it's gotten significantly better over the last couple of weeks. Uh, my, uh, okay, how do I put my how do I put my thoughts on this? We we could go eight hours on this. Well, We've we got could, like two. Michael minutes. can attest to you that I could I could talk for an hour. I could talk for more about yes. the, the current game of Big Brother. Um, who's my least favorite is Big Brother Production for being stupid. Oh well, I mean um, that, that's a given. Welcome to Big Brother fandom. The only people I hate more than Big Brother production is uh, Jared. I cannot stand him. I hate production for putting him back on my TV screen. The quicker he is fully out of the house, the happier my life yeah. will be. Undoubtedly. Um, my favorites. I really like Corey in America. I don't think Corey in America are good enough game players to actually win the game. Um. But I really like them. I, I I dig the showmans and I like the people. Uh, so that that's who I'm rooting for right now. I think that we are headed for a um I don't know. It feels like Matt's in the best position in the house, unless somebody wakes up and realizes I, like maybe they Jag. Need- Jag is too obviously a comp threat. I think that people will take the shot at Jag sooner than they will take the shot at Matt. That's fair. Matt has a shield that Jag does not. Um, I, the person I think is in a weirdly interesting spot is Nicole, who is... I, I like Nicole. Nicole's great. She just gets eight seconds of airtime a week, um, and she's playing so far under the radar that... It's too much under the radar, but I think there's a world in which she can use that to her advantage. But you can't just keep saying this over and over again. You got to go out and beat Washington. You know what I mean? Yes, 100%. And Nicole needs to win late game comps. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I would love it. I would love it. But we'll see. 
We will see. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll be back Wednesday to preview USC and Colorado. Uh, until then, uh, we will see you. You can, you can always, uh, by, by the way, the, the DOG that mm-hmm. sits right behind us. Yes. Now on the floor. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I think it's oh. trained <laughs> to where she knows when the episodes are over now. So she doesn't care what we say. Like, we can talk about the park. We can talk about getting food. We can talk about going outside, and she does not respond. But the moment we say the thing that we say at the end of the show, the way mm-hmm. that we say it, she pops up and just yeah. goes like, so yeah. maybe we'll keep the... We'll All right, she does well, that'll do it. Uh, that'll do it for the episode. So until next time, we'll see ya. See ya. See ya. See ya. <laughs> she just moved her head. She didn't get up. She, she's she's now looking at me. She's still just laying there. But she definitely moved, so I don't know. Oh. We we oversold <sighs> it. We oversold it. All it right. was very cute last episode. There, yeah. Yeah. yeah.